Well, good morning. Yeah, there we go. My name is Brandon. I am the uh, pastor of preaching and vision here at Sojourn Heights. And um, as he said, we're beginning a new series today that we're calling Redeemed Family. And so here's the flow of the series. Here's what we're doing. Uh, this week, uh, we're, we're going to talk about re- redeemed family defined. It's going to be a bit of a, an atypical sermon, if you will. The goal today is really to tee up the next three weeks and where we're going. And the next week, we're going to talk about um, Drew, who just did this. Um, we'll talk about singleness and dating. Uh, and then after that, we're going to talk about marriage. And after that, we're going to talk about parenthood. And we're doing all of this from Ephesians 5 to the beginning of, uh, of Ephesians 6. And then our series is going to end... Um, on a Sunday with Parenthood, and then the following Friday, we're going to have a forum, uh, a Q&A forum, where we have uh, some pastors and their wives, uh, uh, a, a single lady and a couple of our pastors up here doing a Q&A. It's going to be a text-in Q&A uh, that will be both the night of and this week. I'll explain that in a second. But the hope for the forum uh, it is not, uh, we're going to preach through these texts, these topics out of the scriptures the hope of the forum is not to have a night where we come and we debate like, um, you, you know, headship theology and all of that jazz. The, the, the hope of the forum is to have a night where we come and we answer really practical, on-the-ground, real-life questions that I'm struggling with, that you're struggling with. And so we've got some seasoned people who are going to come and help us with that um, that night. Now, the way we're doing text-in Q&A um, is if you'll write this phone number down or jot it in your uh, in your phone, and then you've got to put that away, all right? When you're talking on the phone and I'm preaching, it, it, it you know, hurts my feelings. And so, um, but here's the number, 713-703-9139. That's the, the, the number for text in Q&A. So at, at any point between now and then, uh, if you have a question, just text it. And then we're going to filter questions and try to find the themes and address that the night of the forum. All right, let's get started with, uh, with today. I have three kids. Uh, they, they range in ages from one to five. Um, and, and as you raise kids, they, there's this progression that they go through, right? So when they first come home, um, they are a mess, they're crying, they're loud, and they're beautiful, right? And so like you, you don't sleep for nine days, and then you've got this crying baby in another room, and, uh, and you're like emotionally all over the place, both mom and dad, and then you just look at it and go, but aren't they gorgeous. And then at some point that shifts and this like independent rebellion starts. So for all of all three of my kids, when they hit about one, they, they would start this thing, this game where they would take the food on their plate and they would go, oh, I'm supposed to eat that. What do you think about that? How you like me now? All right. Every one of them have walked through that. Uh, but then there comes this new shift where uh, a few years in, they start uh, both doing everything that you do, and then most dangerously saying everything that you say. And so a consistent conversation in my home would be my wife looking at Easton uh, and saying, hey, little buddy, we don't use potty words. And Easton saying, but daddy just did. And then I've got to sit down with him and go, hey, there's a man code and you're breaking the man code. (laughs) And I'm failing and this is not okay, you know, and here's the thing, at around two to three, Easton, uh, he just started acting like me. Right? He just started doing the things that I do. And the same thing for my daughter. And so my, my son would start saying, hey, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a boy like you. And I'm like, I'm no boy, little boy. All right, I'm a grown man. But that was a different convo. Uh, and then he would say, hey, I'm, 
I'm a man like you, Daddy, and we protect our family, right? And, and he just started acting like me. And here's why this is significant. The, the scriptures are going to say that hardwired into humanity is this desire to imitate our parents. And I need to pause. I need to just throw a bracket on the sermon for a minute because we're launching out into a redeemed family series and I have no doubt that there are some of you, men and women in this room right now, who when you think about the family that you grew up in, it is the last thing that you want to think about. I I have no doubt that in this room are men and women who walked through incredible amounts of brokenness in their childhood. And the thought of thinking about the family that you grew up in only creates this nausea pain inside of you. And, and let, me, let me plead with you, or, or, maybe, uh, or, or maybe recently you've lost parents, right? And so thinking about the home you grew up in, while it might be beautiful, positive, wonderful memories, it, it's also memories of the mom or dad that you just lost in the last few months, year, years before. And so there's going to be this tendency as we, especially as we hit um, marriage, parenting, there's going to be this tendency to want to just kind of take a left turn and sidestep what's happening inside of you. And let me, let me plead with you not to do that, not throughout this series, because, because if you will engage, if you will engage even in the middle of the pain, you, you might see and you might be able to step into the living reflection that God says it's meant to be. And so Ephesians 5 is going to say, that children imitating parents, this kind of biological reality is a reflection of how God wired and designed the world. And so let's dive right into the text because he's going to say why. Verse 5. That's not true. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so right, right up front, he, he, he says, here's why God rigged the world for children to imitate parents because we were wired to imitate God. That this is meant to be a, um, a living mirror, if you will, of the imitation that we're meant to live out. And we're meant to imitate God. And who is God? And side note, um, imitation is woven throughout the scriptures. I mean, woven throughout the scriptures. If you look at Philippians 2, this really famous passage on the humility of the Son, the humility of Jesus, what sits behind that is that the Father from all of eternity planned to exalt the Son. And so I think that in the humility of the Son, he was simply doing what he'd eternally seen his Father do. He was a living mirror of the humility of the Father. All right, and then Paul, throughout the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitation is woven throughout the Scriptures, right? Originality is not a value in the Bible. Anywhere. And I know, like I'm my own man. No, you're not. Imitation, it's woven throughout the scriptures. But who are we to imitate? We're to imitate God. And who is God? God is a Trinitarian family. There's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And think about this. God could have chosen any language under the sun to describe himself. God was not linguistically bound And he chose Father, Son. God chose familial language to describe himself and to reveal himself to the world. And so when we say the primary metaphor in the church, the 
primary metaphor for the church is family. It's because the church is meant to be a living mirror, a living reflection, an imitation of the divine family. And so how do we do this? We do this um, as beloved children. And look at the wording. I mean, just, just let that wording sit on you. It does not say as children. It says as beloved children. And so why in the world could it say, why, why would Paul be so confident as to say as beloved children? Let me, let me tell you why. Here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that the love that the Father has for the Son is the love that the Father has for you. Don't believe me? John 17, 23. This is not going to be on the screen, and it was on purpose. I I want your imagination to grab you as you hear the words of Jesus saying this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me. And listen to these words. This is, this is Jesus speaking about you. And loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus is here praying to the Father and he says, I want them to be one so the world will know that you sent me. Why? And that they would know that you Father loved them, the church, even as you loved me. Let that land on you. Because there are some of you in this room, I've been here a year and I love being your pastor. I love being one of the men charged to oversee and care for you, but I know this. I know that there are some of you in here that need to hear these words You know why the Father loves the Son? Because He does. And you know why the Father loves you? Because He does. You know know why He chose to love you? Because He does. You know why He loves you? Because He does. You need to hear the Father saying to you, hey, hey man, hey, hey, woman, listen, I, I know about last week. I know about last month. I know about that abortion in college. And I love you. You know why I do? Because I do. Do you know why? Because I do. I I love being a dad, especially to Easton, who is such a pile of crazy. It's my four-year-old. He's probably burning something down over there. (laughs) And I love getting down eye level to Easton and saying, hey, little buddy, you know why daddy loves you? Why, daddy? Because I do. But you know why, Easton? Because I do. But do you know why? Because I do. And the Father is saying to some of you, let go of last week. I love you because I love you. My love for you is not contingent on what you did or did not do a month ago. And it's not contingent on what you will or will not do a month from now. I love you because I love you because I love you. And this is the foundation of a redeemed family imitating the divine family where the love of the Father and the Son is the love for the church. And now he's going to keep going. He's going to dig deeper into this love and say, 
Here's the DNA of a redeemed family. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See, here's, here's the thing about the Bible. If we stop right there, here's the thing about the scriptures. In the scriptures, all roads lead to the cross. All roads, right? No matter where you're at in the Bible, if you get on the highway or a side street, eventually you land on a road that takes you to the cross. Every one of them. And the cross is both the single most others-oriented event in human history and the single greatest declaration of unconditional love the world has ever known that in the cross of Christ, Jesus was giving up more than he got. Creator of the world, sustainer of the world, the one who possessed all glory with the Father and the Spirit coming from heaven to earth to die on the cross to redeem a, a broken, rebellious people. And in the cross, Jesus loved unconditionally. Aware, listen, if we mapped out the timeline, if we can go back to your past, if we map out the timeline, cross, your birth, your past, the cross came long before you were ever here. And the cross came long before what you regret from two months ago and from five years ago. He was fully aware of your life before it ever happened and was joyful to go to the cross for you anyway. You can stop killing yourself over. You can stop walking in shame. He received all of the shame in love for you, for you, so that you could live his life today. The DNA of redeemed family is that we become an others-oriented people who give more than we get, who love unconditionally, which means in our neighborhood parishes, in these groups of men and women who, who live life together, who go and uh, do white linen parties and who get together on, which I'm so over white linen after one year, by the way. It's a thousand <laughs> degrees outside. Um, white linen in November would be cool. Um, whatever. Second that. I third it, whoever seconded that. So we'll just keep rolling like that. Um, when, when we gather in these neighborhood parishes, these are places where our relationships aren't contingent upon you giving me what I need. They're, they're places where I come knowing that I'm going to give more than I get. And the reality is if we all came knowing we were going to give more than we get, no one would get less than they wanted. That's a side note. And here's the challenge, right? Here, here, so if this is meant to be the DNA of a, um, of a redeemed family, why is it so difficult, right? Because if we just stopped this sermon thing and we just said, hey, is it easy to be others-oriented and love unconditionally? All of you would say, absolutely not, right? Case study A, me. Absolutely it's not. Why is it not? Here's why. Hardwired into humanity is also, is also conditional relationship, conditional love. It was at the heart of the fall, that when Adam and Eve looked at God and said, I, I am yours if, if. It penetrated and infiltrated all of humanity. And the best illustration that I could ever come up with, I think, is the Friends song, the theme song to the TV show Friends. And I know it's been gone for like 10 years. It's still brilliant and hilarious, and I'm still not allowed to recommend it as a pastor, but it's awesome. And here's the theme song. Y'all know it. 
ba ba ba. I was going to sing it. I'm debating right now. Do I, do I not sing it? I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. If y'all sang it, I would join you. Um, when it hasn't been your day, you want. <laughs> when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, I'll be there for you because what? You're there for me too. Listen to the theme song. Has it been your day, your week, your month? Your That's all of us, all right? I've only met, like, I've had one conversation where I go, hey, man, how, how's this past year been? Best year of my life. You know, usually it's just, it's not our year. Side, it's a different sermon. I've got to stay with this sermon. Hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or your year, but hey, I'm there for you. Why? Because you're there for me too. And here's what happens. We, we, we start defining this. We start defining this as loyalty. This is not loyalty. This is contractual friendship. Here's the contract, right? I live up to my end of the contract if you live up to your end of the contract. You break your end of the contract, and I'm out. This is not loyalty. Loyalty is Jesus saying, listen, hey, Peter, hey, hey, Peter, I know you won't be there for me too, and I'm going to the cross anyway. That's loyalty. I I know you're not going to be there for me. I I know that at some point you're going to bail on me, and I'm going to the cross anyway. That's loyalty. That's loyalty. But this fabric of conditional love at the heart of the fall is a universal problem because Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 would say, we are born, all of humanity, imitating Adam. And inside this redeemed family is where we learn to stop imitating Adam and start imitating Jesus. And so we're going to keep reading because he's going to deal with this universal reality. And as he does in the next few words, he's going to draw a direct line to redeemed family. Let's keep reading. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Have you ever wondered where this fragrant offering sacrifice language came from? Where it originated from? I'll tell you, it originated It originated in Genesis 8. Genesis 8, 20 and 21, the scene is this. God has just brought Noah through the flood, and now his family is getting off of the ark. And listen to what it says. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. The pleasing aroma of Noah, the pleasing aroma of this sacrifice on the altar with Noah was a foreshadow to the pleasing aroma of Christ on the altar of the cross. And in doing so, in, in this pleasing aroma, he says, 
to Noah, I will never again curse the ground as I have before. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that never again, never again, will I unload the full weight of my wrath on the earth as I did because one day the flood of my wrath will cover Christ on the cross. And as Jesus entered into the flood of God's wrath, he created a new family. You see, what happened? What happened in this story, in this Genesis 8 story, is that God redeemed a family so that one day he would create a new family. He redeemed a family through which one day he would create a new family. And so if we pulled back the umbrella, if we pulled back the umbrella and we traced family in the scriptures, we're going to see that it lands with this church as family where we no longer live under the flood of justice and wrath, but we live under the flood of mercy and grace together as a redeemed family. Genesis 1, God creates family. Genesis 3, sin enters the world by severing a family. Genesis 4, the first effect of the fall, a broken family, brother murdering brother. And so if you've ever wondered, hey, are are all families dysfunctional like mine? The answer is yes. We, We have been from the word go. And then through Abraham, God said, I'm going to bless all families. And then through the lineage of Abraham, the Christ would come, the Christ who would go to the cross and create a new family, a family described, Romans 8, as sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters, children by which we would cry out, Abba, Father, that in the cross, through the life of Christ, through the redemption of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, God creates a new family of adopted sons and daughters. And it is possible, it is possible for the brokenness that you grew up with to terminate with you inside this family. It is possible. That's why we say the primary metaphor for the church is family, redeemed family. And what God was doing was in a world of broken families, he was creating a redeemed family within which our biological families would be raised so that the brokenness we inherited might end with us and we might pass on a different, more mild form of brokenness to our kids. And we become this countercultural family where we stop imitating Adam and we start imitating Jesus. And if I could maybe pause again and say something. If, if you're new, language of church as family uh, might, might be a little bit different to you, right? You, you might think of church as a series of events, right? This place that I go to on Sundays, that you might think of it as um, this, uh, you know, checkbox of things that I'm supposed to do, but that's, that's not how the scriptures would describe it. And, and we all uh, inherited that. Uh, we are Western um, products of our culture and context, and what we want to do at Sojourn is redefine what the church is for us so that we would see church as 
family, brothers and sisters, adopted brothers and sisters, who together we cry out, Abba, Father, that we would be a countercultural family in a world longing for family. So what does it look like? What does it look like on the ground, real life, to be a redeemed family? We have a definition on our website. If you don't know, um, we're Sojourn Heights, but we're part of Sojourn Houston. There's Sojourn Heights, Sojourn Montrose. We're starting Sojourn Galleria pretty soon. And one of our five centralized values that we share is redeemed family. And here's how it's described on the website. Scripture describes the church as the household of God. Ephesians 6, Galatians 6, Ephesians 2. We are his children, his family. So it's our joy and honor to demonstrate redeemed family to a world of broken families. We believe healthy spiritual and biological families are the bedrock of a healthy society. Thus, we intend to provide Sojourn Houston churches with premarital, marital, and family counseling, foster and adoption support and services, and well-trained, well-resourced neighborhood parishes which function as spiritual families within within which our our biological families grow and thrive. Now, there is tons in this definition that that we can't, I would have to do like a whole nother sermon right now and y'all don't want me to do that and so I'm not gonna do that. But I wanna pull out three things that are in this and outline them. One, counseling. Two, foster and adoption. Three, parishes. Our neighborhood parishes. When it comes to counseling, I, I, wanna, I want this myth to go away that there's shame in counseling. I want that myth gone. Listen to me. I, I am here. I, I, I am your pastor today because five years ago, my boss at a church in Dallas said to me, you're going to counseling and I'm not asking. And I said, man, I don't really need it. I'll do recovery. And he's like, you don't understand. you're not listening, man. I'm not asking. And then I went to counseling and I sat down with John Henderson and I thought, I don't even like you, man. You don't talk to me like that. And it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. There's no shame in needing counseling. None. Let that myth die. There's shame pretending like you don't need counseling. But there should be. And then premarital counseling. We, 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 we want premarital counseling to be this avenue where we come together and we talk honestly about life and challenges, the joys, the hopes, and we strengthen our preparation for marriage so that when the mess happens, you might, you might know that, one, you're not alone and you might be able to see the glory of God in your marriage even in the difficult times. I'm going to prep you for that. And then post-marital counseling. There was a, um, there was a brilliant theologian named Mike Tyson a few years ago who said about a boxing match, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) The first 18 months of my marriage felt like a consistent punch in the mouth. And it wasn't until I was honest about saying, hey, I feel like I got punched in the mouth that anything actually start to get better. And I could have desperately used some other men and some other women in my life to say, hey, listen, it's okay, man. We, we all get punched in the mouth early, and this is how we navigate that season. It's okay. So our postmarital is to flesh out premarital. And then family counseling. Um, th- th- this can be overlooked, especially inside the church, that there are 
times when children need specialized gospel counseling as well, that we would come alongside parents when there is seasons of need. And I have some announcements coming. We have some announcements coming about counseling at Sojourn that I'm giddy to talk about, but it would be premature for me to open my mouth now, and so I'm going to not and hang tight for a couple of months. And then foster and adoption. Listen to me. We will be, by God's grace and God's mercy, we will be a church that cares about the orphans in the city. This is not an invitation to come play. This is we will be a church that cares about the orphans in the city. And this does not mean that all of us are going to adopt. That doesn't mean that your role is to go out and adopt a child tomorrow or to foster a child tomorrow. It does mean that we will all have a role to play in it together. Right? You, your role might be to adopt, to foster and adopt. The Knowles, Drew, and his wife, who were just, he was up here. Like they're in the middle of fostering and adopting. Some of us, our role might be that we would help financially those who are fostering and adopting. It might be that you go through the process to get certified to babysit and provide child care. But we will be a church that cares about the orphans in our city that fosters foster and adoption. And if you are considering adoption, if you're in here, we, we had lunch with a guy who ran a, a, a foster and adoption organization a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and, and he said, maybe throw the question out this way to your people. What, what if, if you're considering adoption, what, what if the question wasn't, is a child right for my family? What if the question was, is my family right for a child? By grace, we will be an imperfect church that cares for orphans in our city. And then our parishes, these parishes, neighborhood parishes, under the umbrella of church as family, our parishes function as the immediate family, right? Not, not, not the only family, right? We are one church family of neighborhood parishes. We are not 17 families, but those are the immediate family that we meet with weekly, that we're with consistently with, that we cry with, that we pray with, that we dream with. That when one of my kids is sick, my parish leaders come and bring my kids up here for her. And by her, I mean my wife. I assume you knew that. That's where we learn to imitate Jesus together, knowing, knowing that, that learning to imitate Jesus is a slow process that we all go through. It's a slow process, right? So my my daughter, the other day, um, I, I said to her, hey, Isley, what is 5 plus 4 minus 2? And my son said, 31. And I was like, no, buddy, it's not. Uh, and then Isley, she said, 7. And we high-fived and we cried. And my wife and I were like, look, our daughter's brilliant. Look at her. She did addition and subtraction. Yeah, and, um, but at, at, if I asked you, What's five plus four minus two? N none of us would high five and cry if you got it right. right. But it's a slow process and we celebrate the slow early wins as we grow in Christ together. And we expose our blind spots together. I, I need this more than anything. I need men and women to expose my blind spots in me so I'm not passing blind spots on to my kids. And we walk through hard times together and there are hard times to walk through. 
and then we raise our kids together and that we I love, my, ki- my kids love our parish. Like, I, I know that there are, um, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk in months and years to come more and more about how our philosophy of ministry is getting fleshed out in real life. But let me, let me tell you what I want more than anything. I want other people around me who love Jesus, who love me, who love my kids, for my kids to be excited about being around. I, I don't need I want peer influence for my kids. I, I want um, I want other kids around my kids. I don't. That's not a need. And what I what I need is other people, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, alongside me, helping care for my kids together. That's what I need. But we'll get more to that in three weeks. And then our parishes they make up this Sojourn Heights family that that this church family. The thing about family is that family defines what home is, right? And so what if, what if, what if some of us, what if some of us just said, I'm putting down roots right here and Houston's going to be home because Sojourn is my family. Like I've been here a month, a year ago, and I was at one of our parish leaders' house listening to him talk to somebody else, and he said this, I've never thought about leaving Sojourn. Why? Because Sojourn's become my family, and why would I leave my family? Listen, we are profoundly imperfect. We are a profoundly imperfect people striving to be church as family together, a place where we learn together to imitate Jesus, where we learn together what it looks like to to take seasons and stages of life from singleness to engaged to marriage to parenthood, to one day dying. And we learn to walk together in those stages of life because that's what families do. This is who we're trying to be. And so if you're new and you're wondering, hey man, is this the place for me? Know that we're we're not interested in being a bunch of events. We're not interested in being a series of of event to event to event to event to event. We're not anti-event in a sense, this is an event. We do events throughout the year. We're not, we're not like railing on events. But let me tell you what we don't want to be is an event-driven people. We want to be family. That is what we want to be and become. Because that's who we believe the scriptures have called us to be. Now, we might be a counter-cultural, Christ-exalting, gospel-saturating family in this world desperately searching for family where we come together we come into this room and then we gather with our neighborhood parishes and we take all the baggage that we've brought with us and we hold it up before Jesus and we hold it up before the cross and together we say take it from us that we might see some of what brokenness that we've lived with and walked in that got passed on to us terminate with us that we might not pass it on to our children that we might teach them as we learn together to stop imitating Adam and to start imitating Jesus that we might be that this Sojourn Heights church might be a living reflection of the divine family 
putting Christ on display as we are uh, others-oriented, loving unconditionally, group of men and women who in a world of broken families put redeemed family on display. Let's pray.